0: So I do ask that you continue to pray for me as I share this topic on uh, beginning on the head covering. I don't think we'll get very far into it. It is going to take a lot more than uh, than um, one or two messages. I'm thinking it may may end up taking uh, three or four. We'll we'll decide. We'll see how that goes. But there's a there's so many different facets with the head covering that can be looked at. And I'd like to touch on a number of those again so that we can understand it, so that we can uh, apply it. But I want to begin here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're only going to read the first two verses. And I do feel pretty weak, so if you'd just continue to pray for me that that the Lord would give inspiration, I would appreciate that. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. I'm going to read it again. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. This past week I was driving down the road. I shared this with some of you as I was driving down the road I, I suddenly felt a tremendous burden with a clarity that was uh, extremely clear and maybe clearer than I'd ever seen it before. As I thought about the responsibility that, that you brothers have asked me to serve, the capacity that you've asked me to serve in, as I thought about that role and I thought back about, upon the ordination that we had a little over a month ago, And I thought of the great responsibility of being asked to fulfill that office of an elder. And the tremendous responsibility that comes with that. As I drove down the road this past week and as I thought about that, it it pressed upon me and was clearer to me than maybe it had ever been before. And I'm going to try to explain what that was as I share... Here from, from verse 2, it says, and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. I thought about that word ordinance, and that word ordinance is the same word that we read there in Second Thessalonians. I may turn to it. It's the same word there as tradition. In the Greek, that's that same word. I believe it's paradosis. So if we would reread that again, it says, and keep the paradosis as I deliver them to you. We could go to there to Second Thessalonians, and we could read, and it uses the word tradition, but it's the same word paradosis in Greek. It's the exact same word. And our understanding of tradition today, I think, is a little skewed. We tend to think of tradition in the sense of, we have separate seating here, we have a noon hour lunch, we have certain traditions, maybe regarding family traditions that we, that we have on Sunday mornings. There's maybe certain breakfast, breakfast meals that we have on Sunday mornings that is just kind of a, we call it a family tradition. We understand the meaning of that word, tradition, in that sense, but that's not the sense that Paul is speaking of here when he uses this word ordinance and tradition. It's a lot deeper, a lot more meaningful word than that, and he's speaking about specific things when he uses this word ordinance, and when he uses the word tradition, he wasn't speaking about Separate seating. He didn't have in mind projecting down the road 2,000 years. He wasn't thinking of the Christian Apostolic Brotherhood and thinking necessarily of separate seating. He wasn't projecting down the road and thinking necessarily of our noon lunch hour. Though those are good things, I'm not undermining that at all. Don't, I don't want anybody to take me or misunderstand me on, on that. But it happens to be that that's not what Paul was Thinking about. There were specific traditions and specific ordinances that Paul was speaking about here that are necessary in order to be a legitimate, true church. It's necessary that these ordinances and these traditions be kept and that we wouldn't deviate from that. And that was part of the burden that really began to press upon me. That one of the responsibilities that I have, that I will give an account for on that day, is did we keep the ordinances and the traditions of the apostles? That when we come, when I come specifically, but you also as brothers and sisters, will we be able to come before the Lord having kept the traditions and the ordinances that were handed down by the apostles? And the seriousness of, of these traditions, I want to read to you because, again, it's the same word. It was translated different. When they translated the, the, the Bible, they used two different words. But again, I think in order for us to understand it properly, I want to look at it here. I want to look here at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. because this is a commandment, and I think a lot of times it gives confusion. I think people misunderstand these verses as they're written here, and they misapply it, and it causes confusion. And I want to provide a little clarity, hopefully. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You see, today we could take that and we could use that as a defense for our practice of separate seating. We could use that as a defense For our noon hour, we could use that verse as a defense for even uh, the color of our shirts, the color of our head coverings, the, the color of our pants. Because, see, groups develop certain traditions in that sense that become standard. And again, I'm not necessarily speaking against that, but all I'm simply saying is that's not what this verse is applying to. And men have used it wrongly in the past. They've taken this particular verse and they've misapplied it to those types of issues. Those types of traditions that have come up within denominational settings, certain cultural practices, we might say. And they take a scripture here and they use it to defend their position for not changing or not deviating from this traditional practice that has developed. But that's not what Paul is speaking about here. Paul is speaking about the apostolic tradition that was handed down by the apostles. And that we, as, if we are to be a faithful church, must be keeping. And Again, I want to get into that. But if this is misapplied, then we can take it to chapter 3. And we can suddenly start to defend ourselves in church splits and divisions and separations, and these kinds of things, if we would go to verse 14, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, I'm sorry, I'm reading from the wrong verse there. Um, Let me back up. I wanted to read from verse 6. From chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. And then we can go on, and we can go to verse 14, and suddenly we have a very scriptural position on why it's necessary to separate from those who would see some of those things different than what we would. We suddenly have scriptural reasons to remove brethren from our company because of those kinds of issues. And and that's, that's a real tragedy. Sometimes it is necessary, as it says there, to note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. It's necessary to do that because... Maybe he is contentious. Maybe he is filled with strife. Maybe he is nitpicking and finding fault with everything, and there's just really not anything else you can do with that type of a man except note that man and just say, you know what? We need to separate from him because he's just really a, a real problem finder here, causing a lot of division. I want to I wanna lay that out there to let us know that that's, that's a misapplication that's not the traditions and the ordinances that Paul is speaking about here. And so the question then rises, what is what are the traditions and the ordinances that were committed by Paul to the church? What did that look like and what were they? And what is our responsibility towards it then today? that's what really started to weigh heavy upon me. I don't know that I can come up with every single thing that's on that ordinance, but I want to throw out a number of them that may be helpful for us in understanding the scope of what we're actually talking about here. When we think about these ordinances and traditions, what Paul is speaking of specifically, he's speaking of baptism, He's speaking of communion, or what the early church called the Eucharist. He's speaking about the head covering. He's speaking about laying on of hands and the anointing of oil. These practices that were given by the early church that, as one has shared, it would have been difficult to have invent that by yourself. It would have been difficult for a group of people to just invent the idea of laying on of hands and anointing with oil, a foot washing, greeting with a holy kiss, lifting up of holy hands. These kinds of ordinances and traditions that were commanded the church to do, and they were given in such a way that Christ delivered it unto the apostles, and the apostles then were to practice it and to teach it. The exhortation was given, I believe, to Timothy, that he was to find those men who were capable of teaching others, who were faithful, capable of teaching others, and he was to take those things that he had received from Paul and to commit that unto them so that they could then teach others also. This is really important for us to understand. I don't think I can stress that enough. This is really important. If we're going to understand the, the head covering and the importance of the head covering, we really need to understand some of these foundational things. Because if we don't understand it, we're, we're not going to understand the importance of of the, the woman's head covering today. And so it's really critical for us to understand it. I know that I've shared this particular message. I, as I thought back on it, I'm not quite sure how many times I've shared this particular message. But it's been numerous times. So I ask you to be patient with me. I know that that's difficult to sit and listen to something for the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth time. It's even harder, I can assure you, to repeat yourself that many times but I do see it as very necessary. Brother once told me, he said, Danny said, you know, it's amazing how many times we as preachers stand up and we say the same thing over and over and over. And you look at the people, they're falling asleep, their dazed, their eyes are glossed over. You know they're not hearing a word that you're even saying because they've already heard it before. They've already listened to it before. They already know this message. And you finish that message and you know they didn't hear what you were saying. You know that they didn't receive it. But then someone will come along and they'll say something hardly even related to what you were saying, and all of a sudden the light bulb will go on and it will click with them as if they had never heard it before, even though you'd preached it 20 different times, they'd never heard it before, and suddenly the light bulb goes on with them, and they say, Oh, I never knew that. And you think, but I preached it at you twenty different times, and you never listen, you never heard it. And as a as a as a minister, sometimes that's really challenging to bring a message that you know you've already preached. A dozen times, maybe literally, and yet it's foundational to our understanding. We really need to have this. If we're going to give a series on the head covering, this is a foundational teaching that needs to be given in order for us to properly understand. So I I don't know that I can stress that enough. I hope that there's going to be others that listen to this because it's a topic that's very pertinent and relevant to our day and time. There's a lot of questions revolving around the head covering, and the proper use of it, and what it ought to look like, and what it ought not to look like, and how it ought to apply. But if we're going to get that right, we need to, we need to be able to lay some, some foundation work here so that we can start building up and so that we actually have a, a basis for why we believe what we believe. Okay, so there's these ordinances and there's these traditions that have been handed down from the apostles. And as I mentioned, we think about baptism, we think about communion, we think about the greeting with the holy kiss, we think about the laying on of hands, we think about the anointing with oil, we think about the washing of feet, we think about um, the greeting with the holy kiss, I'm probably missing a number of things. We could include in that the apostolic doctrine, the teachings and the doctrine that was handed down by the apostles, that's in a little different category, but obviously that's just as important for us to know and to understand as well. But this is what's really important, is that we today, 2,000 years later, and this is what really pressed on me, is that when I come before the throne of God, I am going to be judged. Did I keep the ordinances and the traditions as they were committed from the apostles? Was I part of that true church that took those ordinances and handed it unto God and said, this is what was committed unto me, this is what we did, and here it is. And he looks at it and he says, that is true. You didn't change it, you didn't alter it, you didn't improvise it, you didn't improve upon it, you didn't innovate, you didn't create. You just took it as it was committed from the apostles, and you in your time and day were faithful, and you fulfilled it. And there's been an awful lot of innovating and improvising and changing and creating and altering down through the ages. And so it's very difficult for us in our day and time now to find the real bona fide. This is the tradition and the ordinance that was given by the apostles. There's all kinds of fraud. There's all kinds of fakes. There's all kinds of, uh, what what do you call it? You know what I mean? You can be given a $100 bill, and it can be a, a fake $100 bill. It has no value at all. It's important that we have the real $100 bill. And the closer it is to the real thing, the harder it is to discern it. All of us could understand and discern a fake $100 monopoly piece of money. We'd, but thats That's no problem for us to see that. But the closer it gets to the real thing the more tempter, the more, by honest mistake, we might take that and say, well, I think this is real, and unintentionally, unknowingly, hand it to the cashier and give her a fake $100 bill and become guilty of robbery. Unintentionally, we didn't even know it. It looked like the real thing, but it wasn't. It's really necessary for us to prove all things and to hold fast that which is good really important for us to do that. We could think of it this way. As I try to think of what this is like, this is maybe a poor analogy. Forgive me if it doesn't make any sense to you. It seemed to make some sense to me. Paul speaks about a race, and his encouragement is run and win. Run and win. I'm, I'm obviously shrinking that principle down really quick. But run and win. Run that race and win it. As I thought about that race, and I thought about what, was, what happened here, that God spoke to Christ And Christ was faithful in what God had given him to do. Christ came here and he showed us how we ought to live. He gave the right teachings, the right doctrine, the right way of doing it. And he showed the apostles on, he showed them and taught them about baptism. He showed them and taught them about communion. He gave them the example of foot washing. All those things that I talked about, those ordinances and traditions, they had the opportunity to sit there at the feet of Christ and to observe and to listen and to hear what he was teaching them. And they, they only had one responsibility. They needed to be faithful in that. They needed to take that then and communicate it and teach it, just like as they saw in Christ, they were to be representatives of Christ to the communities now in which they went out. And what they saw in Christ, how he was, that's how they were to be now, To this community that they walked into as they walked into Ephesus and as they walked into Samaria and as they walked into these places. They were to represent Christ there in that place. They weren't to be anything different than that. And they were to take these teachings of baptism and head covering and communion, and they were faithfully to teach these people now. And that was this true faith, that was this true church. This was the ordinances and the traditions that were given. And I thought it's kind of maybe like a relay race. It's maybe a little bit like a relay race. You have a relay race, and we're familiar with the relay race, but there's given to those different teams a baton. And that baton is held there in the hand of that person that's going to start that relay race. In order to win that race, that baton has to be handed on to the next runner. And that runner takes that baton and hands it to the next runner. And that one takes it and hands it to the next runner. If that baton is dropped, that's a problem. It slows you down. You've got to pick it up. You've got to take that baton and hand it to the next person, and they've got to run with it. And they run as far and as fast as they possibly can holding that baton but if they come to the end of that line that finish line and they have a different baton they don't win they're disqualified it has to be the same baton you understand what i'm saying there it has to be the same baton that started at the beginning of the race that baton has to cross the the finish line And that's the sense of what Paul is talking about here. I handed off this baton to you. I've given you this baton. And now you need to take that baton. And as he said, you need to run as fast as you possibly can now. Now it's your time. Now it's your turn. You take that baton. You don't alter it. You don't change it. You don't make it lighter. You don't make it heavier. You don't improvise and create, and innovate, get rid of it. You don't do any of that. You take that baton that I gave you and you run to the next person with everything you got, and when you die and you cross that finish line, you hand it off to the next person. And that's been that true church from the time of Christ and the apostles to the present day. That true church is still in possession of that baton. And that baton is made up of true baptism, communion, the head covering, foot washing, the laying on of hands, and the anointing of oil, the greeting with the holy kiss, those traditions that were handed down, the apostles' doctrine if it's the true, if they're going to finish the race and they're going to get across that finish line and be found true and faithful, they're carrying that baton. That's the baton that they're carrying. And that's really important for us to understand then these doctrinal teachings on baptism, the doctrinal teachings on communion, the doctrinal teachings on the head covering. The doctrinal teachings on foot washing and the anointing with oil and the laying on of hands. It's important. We, ha- we have to understand that. We only want to hold that baton. And so when we get into the discussion on the head covering then, and this is what really weighed heavy on me. Is that when we come before the Lord, we're going to need to show up with a head covering on that was part of that original baton. You see, we don't really get a lot of options in it. There's identity, uh, identity discussions that can be had on that, but that's secondary. The really important thing is, is that the head covering covers, and we're going to get into that identity, I understand why that's important to our sisters. I really do. I I can understand that, and I'm not against that. But it's secondary. If we can maintain identity while still covering the head, then okay. But if identity means that we have to not cover the head, then that's not part of that baton. We're going to show up with something that was not handed down. We've changed it. We've improvised it. We've innovated. We've made it different than what was hand it off there, and we're going to be disqualified from the race. That's the seriousness of it. It's really important that we do get this right. It's not, uh, it's not really up for discussion in that sense. In so many ways, I just shared with a brother just yesterday as I visited with him about this. I mentioned just reading there in the fire in the Zurich Hills, and the discussion was on baptism. And They said that we will now leave it to the council to decide. There was one named Simon Stump, if I recall correctly. He stood up and he said, men, he said, it's not for the council to decide. The Spirit of God has already decided it. So we're not trying to discern and find out. What we're trying to do is just simply recover what the Spirit has already revealed from generation to generation. And it's our duty and responsibility now to either fall in line with that or to be disobedient. It's, that's the simplicity of it. We get bogged down by all the other issues that we'll get into, but that's a real burden on my heart. We must recover what was first given from the apostles. That's what we must do. Anything short of that brings death. Now, this is the part that I've shared so many different times. This is the part I've shared so many different times, and I'm not going to turn to all the different scriptures. You already know them. But if we don't get this right, it brings death. Now you think that's a really hard statement, Dan. You mean to tell me that if I get this issue of head covering wrong, it brings death. I believe it brings death. So Christ is likened unto Moses there in Hebrews. Chapter 8, I will go there. Christ is likened unto Moses. I'm going to just read this again. You've heard it how many times, but in verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. I'm going to go to another verse here, real quick. It's kind of almost the same verse, a little different, different way of saying it. It's in Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. So God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I have a tabernacle that I want you to build for me. And he gave him all the details. He gave him all the pattern. He gave him the blueprint, so to speak. And and he said, Moses, now I want you to build this. And I've said it many times. Moses took that blueprint and that pattern, whether it was for the bowls, whether it was for the spoons, whether it was for the chapters, whether it was for the curtains, whether it was for the veil, whether it was for the ark, whether it's for the table, for the showbread, whether it was for the candlesticks, there wasn't a detail in that pattern that Moses did not look at and execute perfectly. He did it perfectly. He followed it perfectly. There was no alteration or variation to that pattern that was revealed to Moses there in the mount. Moses received it from God, executed it perfectly, and God was pleased with it. And we know that he was pleased with it because after it was finished, God came and dwelt there. And put his glory upon that. And filled that place with his glory as a testimony that I am pleased with what Moses has done here. Moses has taken it and now I am pleased I'm going to dwell here. Noah was another man that received a pattern from God. God gave him a pattern, he gave him the wood that, to make it out of, he gave him the dimensions of it, he told him what he wanted accomplished here, he told him what the plan was, what was going to happen, what was coming upon the face of the earth, and Noah took that plan and that blueprint, he took that special type of wood, he pitched it within and without, he, he set it to the right dimensions, he built it exactly to the plan that God had given to him and said, Noah, build this because there's a flood coming. And the question that I've posed so many times, I've never been given a good answer on it because I don't think that there is one, but how many things could Moses have changed in that pattern, building that house for God? How many things could Noah have changed in building that ark until Noah started losing confidence and saying, is this going to work? Noah would have started looking at the ark and saying, you know, this is a lot of work this is a lot of work. I've been at this thing 75 years. This is a lot of work, day in, day out. You know, I think if we just cut out that, what, seventh layer on the sideboard there, it'd save a lot of man hours. It'd save a lot of man hours. We get this thing done faster because the flood is coming. At what point, with some of those innovations and creativity on the part of Noah, at what point would have Noah himself actually started losing confidence in the ship? At what point would Noah have started losing confidence saying, you know, I'm not sure. I may, maybe I made a mistake in doing that. Maybe it needed that amount of pitch. Maybe it needed that amount of sideboards. Maybe it needed that specific type of wood. I don't know. Maybe it's not going to float now. There is a certain tipping point within all of that that the, the builder the people belonging to that ship are going to start losing confidence in it. They're going to say, this isn't going to work. This thing's going to, this thing's going to sink. Noah didn't have that problem. He just built it according to the pattern God gave to him, and it worked. To the saving of Noah's house. At what point could have Moses said, you know, God called for purple dye. That's a long walk to get that purple dye. That's going to take a lot of people to make that purple dye. We're right here close. We've got a shade of red that would have maybe been close enough I don't know. Save time, get it done quicker. We'll offer it to God. We'll sanctify it. There was a tipping point in there somewhere where Moses would have lost confidence. I'm not sure that God's really going to come here and dwell here anymore. Do You see what I'm saying? God expected that pattern to be kept. And it, it, that was a foreshadowing. I'm only giving that as a foreshadowing to what was even a greater pattern that was committed unto the apostles. The apostles were given a blueprint and a pattern by Christ. The head builder, the chief cornerstone, the master builder, the creator of all creation gave them a blueprint. And how much more then were they expected to keep that blueprint? How much more then were they expected to be faithful in these ordinances and traditions and customs and handing them down to the next generation? You see what I'm trying to say there? There was to be no alteration. And any time alteration was made, it brought death. That's why I'm saying for us to alter this, it's really, really important not to do it how we want to do it. It's really, really important that we don't do it, because I think that's going to be good enough. I think we could change it here a little bit. It it says this, but I think we could get it by if we just did it this way. We don't want that. That brings death. Nadab and Abihu... They were told by Moses, in the law, God prescribed a certain way that he wanted fire offered to him. We think, well, it was just fire. I didn't know there was different forms of fire. But he gave a very specific pattern on how to offer up that fire. Nadab and Abihu decided... Maybe they had a little better way of doing it. And it says there that they offered up strange fire. They offered up strange fire and they died. It brought death. Innovation brings death. Innovation disqualifies you from the race. You see, if you're handed that baton and you're running down there and you're running as fast as you can, you're saying, this baton is getting heavy to carry. You know, I could run a lot faster if this baton wasn't so heavy. I'm going to you know, maybe I can get rid of this baton, trade it in for something that's just a little bit lighter. I'll be able to run faster. I'll get to the finish line quicker, and I'll finish the race ahead of everybody else, and who needs this heavy of a baton anyhow? But you get to the end of the race, and you're disqualified because that's not the baton you were given. That's a different baton. And so you have Uzza, that account, I'm telling you, it's hard to repeat a message that you've had literally six times. I mean, you can't imagine what's going through my mind right now as I'm sitting here thinking, I've said this so many times. I have said this message so many times. I'm going to say it again. There was Uzzah, and David wanted to bring the ark, and God had given a, a, a real detailed prescription on how to carry that ark. He told him how many rings it was supposed to have, because those rings were supposed to hold the staves, was, and those staves were even supposed to be made out of certain wood, and they were supposed to be overlaid. The, the, everything was patterned and prescribed, and Moses did it. Moses taught the people. He handed it down. By the time it got down to David, 400 years later, however many years later that was, they, they forgot some of those things. That tradition that had been handed down got somewhere mixed up, and they just somehow overlooked that. They didn't realize how important that was in transporting the ark. It was supposed to be carried on their shoulders. They were supposed to carry that thing on their shoulders. And somehow, in the course of time, they forgot that or something. And they thought, well, we'll put it on a cart. As One said before, who wants to carry it around on their shoulders anyhow? When you can have an oxen cart that do it for you. And we're not so different today. We look at it and say, that's so old. 2,000 years ago? I mean, we're living in the, year, the 21st century, Dan. You're telling us we need to be doing it like the apostles did it? That's going to be entirely irrelevant to our culture. How do you possibly expect us to have a relevant message to our culture today if we're trying to pattern ourselves 2,000 years ago? The only reason we have relevance in our culture today is because we bring a message that's entirely perpendicular to it. It's entirely opposed to it. If we try to model it after them, we've lost our relevance altogether. And so here's David. He's excited to bring the ark back. They've got it in a cart, and they're taking the, the, the thing down, and the ox is pulling it, and it starts to wobble a little bit, and Uzzah decides to put forth his hand instead of the ark. Makes sense, right? But just that little innovation of putting wheels to it, and an ox to it, and a cart to it, just that seemingly innocent innovation, I mean, what would it hurt anyhow? What does it hurt to lighten the baton? The thing's heavy. What does it hurt to say, really, I mean, does it have to be carried on men's shoulders, or can it just be put in a cart and carried the distance? I mean, really, what's the big deal? It seems so innocent. But that little, tiny, innocent Innovation, that creative—it was a genius idea. You got it was why not do it that way? Four hundred years later, it seemed brilliant. Why didn't they think about it? Those old timers—they just couldn't figure those kinds of things out, right? That simple little innovation cost Uzzah his life. He died. He reached out, touched the ark, and he died, just like Nadab and Abihu offering strange fire died. And so anytime we innovate, anytime we create, anytime we do something different on it, we actually disqualify ourselves from the race. And that is a foundational principle that we really, really need to understand and comprehend and embrace if we're going to build the true church of God. If we're going to get and cross that finish line still holding the same baton, we've got to have that thing not here, but also right here in our heart, not just in our brain, but in our heart. And there has to be a jealous Just a a fervency that we will not change this pattern. Not to keep identity, not to fit in, not to whatever the reasons are. Because we see that no, innovation, creativity, changing, altering always brings death. It's not innocent, it won't be overlooked. It needs to be done as the pattern was revealed. Sort of like taking that baton, running with it. And you can change the color of it. You can paint it. You can spray paint it. Someone could be carrying that baton and think, you know, I'd really like to decorate this a lot better. You know, by the time I get to the end, I've got a little time on my hands. Maybe I could stop and maybe I could, maybe I could put some jewels on this thing. Maybe I, could, maybe I could make it a little prettier. Maybe I could cover it over in gold. Maybe I could overlay it. Maybe I could. And we see that happening all the time. Look at the churches all around us, how they've taken the ordinances of, of the apostles and thought that they could improve upon it. They take baptism instead of having a simple baptism, we'll get into this later on, but you know, let's let's add music to it, let's add lights to it, let's put it up on a stage and let's put, I've, I've seen it once already, this is a long, long time ago, I've seen it once already where they had the baptismal up on the stage and they added fog and they added steam and they, they lowered the lights and they put the spotlight right down there on the baptismal tank and it was Let's dress this thing up. Let's add, let's add music to it. Let's put the instruments in there on that. Let's start playing soft music while they're doing this thing. And let's, let's, let's make this thing better. Well, who argues for that? Let's do it for Jesus. And there, see this guy standing out there in the woods? He's running this relay race, and he decides he's going to take this baton and he's gonna cover it over with gold, and he's gonna add some diamonds to it, and he's gonna put some little rubies on that thing, and he's gonna start carrying this thing, and because and, he's made it prettier. The only problem is, he gets to the finish line, he's not carrying the same baton. He's disqualified, he's done. Doesn't matter how good of intentions he had. I was trying to be more relevant to the culture around me, Lord. I was trying to bring in more people. I thought if I could take that baton, it looked a little rusty. It looked a little drab. It looked a little old-fashioned. I thought if I could take that baton and dress it up a little bit, maybe a few more people would be interested in what I'm doing on this race. I thought maybe along the race here, I could stop along the way and share a little bit more. You see, this is Jesus, and Jesus wants you to be part of the race too, and it would be a little more attractive to him, Lord. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You change the baton. You don't even. You're not even holding the ordinances that Christ gave to the apostles. You're disqualified every time. Every time. So here we are, and Paul says, "Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you." I think we start to understand in the context of of true, uh, of putting the scripture together here. Then. I think we start to understand why then. I think we understand a little bit better than what this verse means. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now does that make a little bit more sense? Why we withdraw from those that do not jealously keep the pattern that was given to them? Be it ever so good of an excuse. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense to withdraw from those who are holding to our modern day traditions. That makes sense? Is that, that clear what I'm saying? There's a real importance here. Innovation brings death, creativity brings death. All we are responsible to, and that was the burden that was laid on my heart. When I come before the Lord, will I come before him, and will I hand him that baton that 2,000 years ago, the apostles, they held in their hand. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ had in his hand. It's got his fingerprints on it. It's got the fingerprints of the apostles. It's got the fingerprints of the Waldensians. It's got the fingerprints of those martyrs and those those that suffered and died from generations, who also held To this teaching on the pattern it's got their fingerprints it's got their sweat it's got their blood marking that baton we're the ones that baton has been handed over to us now we are the ones there's nobody else running that race right now we're the only ones right now that are running that race and that are responsible it wasn't the generation before and it's not the one ahead yet but we have that baton in our hand and it's up to us now to run as fast and as hard and as intentional as we possibly can and cross that finish line holding that baton. And Paul says, I praise you for that. I want to be praised for that. And we can't begin the head covering discussion until we understand that really clear and have that into our hearts. We'll miss it otherwise. We'll just totally miss it otherwise. So that's, that's uh, verse 2 there. We'll end. Maybe we can um, sing a song and I'm not necessarily gonna, gonna ask any of you brothers to finish up unless you really have something, but um, I just opened here to one thirty six, so we'll sing this song and then if one of you brothers wanna have the prayer for lunch, we'll we'll break then for lunch.